Um, I'm excited about today. You know, um, this is a this is a great church, and they teach you great things. Pastor Ben's in the middle of a series on faith, which I think is awesome. And we were talking in the car, and he was saying, you know, he's going to teach on faith and finances and things like that. And I'd already had that mulling around as I was praying for this church. And then uh, Pastor Kara said something about what, what I'm going to teach you. And she said, oh, we really need to learn about this. And I was like, man, God would up a ganged up on me between God, Pastor Kara, and Pastor Ben. He's like, this is what you're going to teach today. I was like, yes, sir, I'll do it. Praise God. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 6.24. And uh, we're going to have fun today. You're going to have to listen fast. So I've only got limited time. So listen fast as I... Uh, and if you can't understand me, we, don't, we might need to interpret for the first service as well as the second service. I'm learning to speak American. I can speak English, but American, I'm not so sure. And my Spanish, don't even get me started. Un poquito. <laughs> don't even do it. I don't do it. Un poquito. I get myself in trouble. My, you know, Terra Dez, if you didn't know, is Spanish. My dad was born and raised in Spain and then moved to England when he married my mum. So I'm actually half Spanish. True story. But uh, my Spanish is, is... So I learned some Spanish from my grandmother. So basically what I learned was, was grandmother-type Spanish, like, que queres, cariño, and stuff like that. And then also some bad words, I realized. I said them last time, but you can't say that, so I won't say them. <laughs> Matthew 6.24, this is Jesus speaking, it's in red. Matthew 6.24 says, no one, how many people? No one. No, I thought we could do all things. Well, Jesus said right here, no one can serve two masters, for either he will love, the, hate the one, and my son has got to stop texting me. Can you tell him, Carly? Let me put it on airplane mode, there we go. I'm getting these text messages popping up. I'm <laughs> he needs us, answer him. It's an Amazon code. That's what happens. <laughs> we have three kids. We have a 21-year-old, 20-year-old, and 18-year-old. So pray for us. And basically, they only communicate when they need things like Amazon codes, pizza money, things like that. And it's usually when I'm preaching. So they're an, we're an hour ahead there. So they're probably getting out of early service. So that's why they're... Anyway, praise the Lord. Um, kids are a blessing, praise God. So and if you didn't know, our middle... Our, uh, uh, youngest, uh, our daughter Hannah was actually healed of an incurable disease. If you haven't seen that story, go to our website, terradesministries.com, and click on the about button and watch that 20 minute documentary. If you don't cry, then there's something wrong with you. <laughs> it's a powerful story of God's miraculous healing power. She was healed uh, 15 years ago, and she's 100% healed and whole. Not one thing wrong with her after the doctors gave her one week to live in 2006. And um, she's 100% healed and well. She's 18 years old. She's dating, which really bothers me. Man, but anyway, she's dating. He's a good guy. He's a Karis graduate like we are, so we're very happy for her. But um, she's breaking my heart by dating someone. Bless her. But anyway, she's healed. So if you want to see a healing journey, then go and check that out. That'll bless you. Has anyone found Matthew 6 yet? Okay. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either you hate the one and love the other, or else you'll be loyal to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. See that right there? You cannot serve God and mammon. And here's the thing, how do you know if you're serving God or if you're serving mammon? One of the easiest ways we can find out is whose voice are we listening to? See, here's the thing, whoever's the master calls the shots and the servant says yes. So we always know who's the master and who's the servant by whose voice we're listening to and whose voice we're obeying. So if we're obeying the voice of God, then God's our master. If we obey in the voice of mammon, and mammon is the old English word for money, but it means more than money. It actually means the spirit behind money. It means the voice of money. There's more to it than just money. And you might say, actually, there's no way I'm list I, mean, I serve God. If I asked you, who wants to serve mammon here? Who wants to serve money? Unless you wasn't listening and you put your hand up. That's always tricky. But if you was listening to me, you would know that, you know what? You, no one wants to serve 
mammon, no one wants to serve money, we want to serve God. But how do you know, sometimes the voice of money can be stronger in our lives than the voice of God. And I'm going to show you how this works. I'm going to break this down for you. It's going to really help you. And you're going to realize, you know what? We need to understand that we need to have the voice of God as the predominant voice in our life. That's the strongest voice in our life. And then the, vo- the voice of money should not have an inroad. In other words, money should be our servant and not our master. And you might say, actually, I don't want to learn about money at church. I want to learn about spiritual things. Well, one thing is Jesus taught more on this than anything other subject. He took more on stewardship, money, how we handle money than any other subject in the Bible. Money is the least thing, but how do you know it's a reflector of other things? And I didn't write the Bible. Jesus said right here, you can't serve God and mammon. He didn't say God and the devil. He didn't say God and your flesh. He said God and mammon. So we need to understand this. And here's the thing. This has got a lot more to do than, uh, than other things other than money. Money is the least thing. And really, it hasn't got much to do with money. You'll see in a little while. You say, actually, I don't learn about money at church. This is a lot more to do with spiritual breakthrough, healing, other things other than just money. This just happens to show us how we can uh, receive those things. It's going to really help you. So the voice of money. Let's, let's look at what the voice of mammon looks like. You can't have two, two masters. And let me just give you a quick example. So, you know, you, you, you might say, well, I don't listen to the voice of mammon. Well, when you make a decision, what's the strongest voice in your mind? So you might say, I'm going to move. Maybe I'm going to move town or I'm going to move job or whatever, what's the first thing you think about a lot of the time? How am I going to pay for it? How am I going to afford it? You might be looking for a new house or apartment. How much can I afford? You might be looking for a new vehicle. How much money do I have in the bank? How much can I afford? You might go to a restaurant and look at what to eat. You might say, oh, filet mignon. Go across there, $49. Hang on a minute. You go down here, $10. You go across, spam. I really fancied spam today. That's what I was hungry for when I woke up. Who's told you what to eat? Mammon has told us what to eat. Mammon will speak to us. Mammon will tell us what to do with our time, eight hours a day. Mammon will tell us what type of house to live in, what type of apartment, what type of car to drive. Now, I know there's a stewardship side to this. I haven't got time to balance it out, but there's a stewardship side. Obviously, don't go into debt and things like that. But I'm just saying, if we're not careful, Mammon will tell us what to do. How many times have we heard people, or maybe we've done this, say, I would love to do this. I would love to you know, go part-time and get a Caris Bible College. I'd love to, to you know, go part-time and volunteer at the church more. I'd love to do this and that, but how am I going to pay for it? I'd love to take early retirement, but I can't, you know, how am I going to pay for it? And things like that. People make decisions based on money. I've got friends that say, I'd love to be in ministry, but I can't afford to give up the lifestyle I live. When we went in full-time ministry, we've been in, we was in ministry before. We was actually, um, I was a youth pastor for three years. God bless those kids. I was a youth pastor for three years. <laughs> 25 years ago, bless him. And then um, we got married. We helped plant a couple of churches. So it was associate pastors. And then we started working for Andrew Romick Ministries. We did that for 12 years. Um, and then um, finally, we, we started our own ministry in 2017. We actually came here to preach um, unexpectedly. It was at a soccer competition. And um, some friends, some mutual friends of ours said, come and preach here. So we preached here. And the Lord spoke to me all the way home. I drove home 12 hours back to Colorado. And the Lord said, you know what? You're called to do this. So we gave up our jobs at Andrew Romick Ministries. We didn't have a financial plan, like we had all this money just saved up, like we were like independently wealthy. It was a step of faith. But Mammon was telling me, don't do it. How are you going to pay the bills? How are you going to pay the mortgage? How are you going to do these things? But you know what we had to do? We had to say, no, I'm going to listen to God more than Mammon. And God is trying to speak things to us. And if we let the voice of Mammon be too loud, we won't be able to hear the voice of God. And this is one of the main purposes of Mammon is to stop us hearing the voice of God and draw us away from God's presence rather than into God's presence. And I'll show you how this works. We need to be the master and not, be, not allow money to be our master. Money makes a terrible master, but a great servant. Money makes a terrible master, but it makes a great servant. We're meant to use money as a tool, and God is meant to be our master. 
Let me tell you this story real quickly. This will help you understand it. And then I'll get back into another scripture. But we, when we moved to Colorado, and some of you heard this, but I love the, this illustration. It's the best one I have. We moved to Colorado and our kids said, Dad, everyone here has dogs, okay? In America, you're very dog people. Everyone here has dogs. Without a dog, our life's not complete. So I got like a goldfish, then a rabbit, then cats. That was a bad move. Then cats. <laughs> and then finally, I got a puppy. And we was, we, where we lived in Colorado, we had like eight acres and there was uh, bears and mountain lions and things like that. So if, if I'm going to get a dog, and this may offend you. I'm sorry if you're a dog lover. Anyway, okay. So, so but they, this is a true story. If you Google it and look it up, they say if, you, if you've got mountain lions on your property, which we did, we had bobcats and we saw them bobcats being... Uh, you know, a dead bobcats, so the only thing that kills bobcats is mountain lions. So anyway, there was a mountain lion area. They said, if you have a mountain lion, there's only two options. You've either got to get a big dog that's going to attack the mountain lion. It probably won't win, but it'll give you enough time to get away. Or, this is so bad, I can't remember saying this at church. I'm sorry. Or you get a little dog. And you let little Fido go if a mountain lion's attacking you. And the mountain lion will go for little Fido. And he will lay his life down for you. That's what happened. So, so I thought, I don't want a little dog. I want a big dog. So anyway, I've got a Chesapeake Bay Retriever. They're like 120, 130 pound dogs. And then things will actually fight a mountain lion. And like I said, they won't win, but they'll fight them long enough for you to get away. So I've got a big, a big um, Chesapeake Bay Retriever. I've got a puppy, a little tiny puppy. It was really cute, like 10 weeks old. And um, I'd never owned my own dog before, so I didn't know what I was doing. So I had this dog and, um, and we was having a barbecue or something and dropped a piece of chicken. And this dog grabbed this chicken and went off into the bushes. And Kylie said, you can't let a dog have chicken bones and it's, you know, this and the other, it'll choke. Go and get the chicken off the dog. Well, no problem, right? What could go wrong? Cute little puppy. So I go after the chicken, uh, go after the dog to get that chicken off him. As I went to get that chicken off him, I grabbed the chicken that he was, had in his mouth. And as I went to grab it, he went, rah, and went for me. Well, here's the thing. Now I'm scared of my own dog. And it's pretty embarrassing to be scared of a puppy. Like, it's one thing to be scared of a big dog, but just a little puppy, it's pretty scary. So every time he was eating, I'd walk by him, he'd growl at me, and I'd give him a wide berth. I'd be scared. So now I'm scared of my own dog. I thought, this is not very good, being scared of your own dog. So my friend came around, and he said, oh, cute puppy. I was like, be careful, he's a killer. <laughs> so, so he said, are you scared of your dog? I was like, no. He's like, you're scared of your dog, aren't you? I was like, yeah, I'm a little bit. <laughs> so he said... I mean, he was a puppy, but he still had sharp teeth. He said, listen, he said, when that dog grows up and, and he's fully grown, 120, 130 pounds, you're going to have a problem here. You've got to be, have control of that dog. And he said, listen, he said, if you didn't know, dogs are either leading or they're being led. There's no in-between. If you think you and Fido are best friends, it's a lie, okay? I'm here to expose that lie to you right now. You're either leading Fido or Fido's leading you. You're either leading your dog or your dog's leading you. You're like, here, I'm in church at 10 o'clock on the morning on Sunday morning learning about dog training. It's all good. It's going to come back around, don't worry. So there's no middle ground. So you're either leading or it's leading you. And it's exactly the same about finances. We're either leading money or money's leading us. There's no middle ground. We have to either be proactive in saying money's a tool, money's a servant of mine, or otherwise money's going to be speaking to us. Mammon's going to be speaking to us. There's no middle ground. We have to tell mammon what to do or mammon's going to tell us what to do. So anyway, cut long story short. I said, what do I do? He said, well, you've got to be the alpha dog. He said, that dog is leading you and it thinks it's the boss. But you've got to show that dog that you're the boss that dog is meant to serve you. You don't serve that dog. I said, how do I do that? He said, well, you've got to be the alpha dog. I said, I can be the alpha dog. What do I do? He said, well, he said, you've got to show that dog that you're in charge. And again, this may offend some people, but they like it apparently. This is good. This is good for the dogs. When the dog growls at you and tries to usurp its authority over you, you have to show it that you're in charge and give it authority back. So you grab its collar or whatever you want to do, push his head down low as a sign of submission and make a noise to say, no, I'm in charge. You're not in charge. I'm in charge. I said, what type of noise shall I make? He said, whatever noise comes out, that you feel power. 
So, okay, we can do this. So the next time I walked past him and he was eating, he started growling at me and trying to intimidate me and scare me. So I got over my fear and I got him by the collar. I didn't hurt him. No dogs were hurt in the, <laughs> at the preaching of this sermon. So he, I grabbed out of his collar and I pushed him down low and the noise that came at me was, bah! I was like, he's having like a sheep. It wasn't very masculine. <laughs> I was hoping for something a bit more masculine. So I was like, well, that was it. And his little ears went down. He submitted to me. Now, I had to keep doing it to show him, I'm in charge. And you know what? That dog learned. It submitted to me. It was actually like, it actually, he could be across the other room, across the, across the room, the other side of the room. And I'd look at him and he was just about to do something bad. And I'd look at him. He'd look at me and I'd go, bah, like that. And his little ears would go down. He was a happy dog. He was submitted. I was his leader. He was my servant. He was happy. He was submitted. Dogs have either got a lead or been led. And it's the same with our finances. We have to learn how to lead our finances. We have to learn how to put mammon in its place. Otherwise, we're going to be in trouble. So real quickly, turn to Mark 4. Let me show you what mammon looks like. People say, what does mammon look like? I'll show you what the voice of mammon looks like right here. Mark 4. Now, I haven't got time to go into this whole parable for time's sake, but Mark 4 is one of the most famous parables. In fact, if you don't understand this parable, Jesus said, how are you going to understand all the other parables? So Mark 4 is a, is a, a parable that we need to understand. It's how the kingdom of God works. And, um, man, I'm speaking so fast. We've got to pray. Are you interpreting for me next service, Ben? I'm going to pray for you, praise God. <laughs> so, anyway, Mark 4. Let's just break in here. Um, we haven't got time to read it all. Well, let me give you my 30-second Ashley version. Okay, there's four types of ground. The ground represents our hearts. The, the sower's father God. He, the, the, what he's sowing, the seed, is the word of God. The seed never changes. It's incorruptible. It always works. The ground is the variable. So when Father God sows the word, the ground's the variable. So the first type of ground, it's a hard heart. The seed it doesn't have time to enter the heart, and the enemy takes the seed away. It's like a hard-packed path. The second type of ground, the seed goes in, it starts to grow up, but because there's no uh, foundation, there's no roots, there's just rocks and stony places, it'll grow up with excitement, and maybe someone says, yeah, I love the Lord. I'm, you know, They give their life to the Lord, but they're not discipled. When persecution comes, then that plant withers, and unfortunately, it's, it's, um, it doesn't uh, grow up to fruition. The third third type of ground, I believe, is where the majority of Christ is living, unfortunately. The third type of ground. And that is they receive the word. You come to this church, you're going to receive the word. You receive the word, and it says they receive the word with gladness, and it grows up. They start growing. The, the crop grows. But it says there's things in there. There's weeds. There's actually thorns growing alongside the crop, and it chokes the word and makes it unfruitful. Okay, and then the fourth type of ground is where we should all be wanting to live, and that's where there's no rocks, there's no hard-packed ground, there's no thorns. It's a pure heart. And what happens is, is we end up uh, producing 30, 60, and 100-fold increase for the Lord. So the Word of God works in our life. So really, well, the variable is our heart. So in the third type of ground, Jesus shows us here what the three things are that choke in the Word of God in our life. Now, if I was to tell you this morning, there's things in your life, in my life, that can choke the Word of God and stop it bearing fruit. How do you know we need to understand those things and do some gardening? Can I, can I get an amen? Like, Maybe you're looking for healing. Maybe you're looking, you need peace in your life. Maybe you need, you're struggling with addiction. You need, some, you need some revelation on righteousness and who you are in Christ, identity. Maybe you need help in relationships. Maybe you need help with provision. If there's things in your life, the Word of God is the answer every time, amen? The Word of God's incorruptible. It never returns void. So it's always, the, the Word of God always works. So the variable's our heart. So if we could find out what's in our hearts that's stopping the Word of God bearing fruit, we can do some gardening and see the Word of God bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold, Amen? So Jesus explains this parable, and it's really funny, actually, because he tells this parable in public, and the disciples, they're like, amen, Jesus, good word, amen, preach it, amen. And then they go in public, and they say, Jesus, we haven't got a clue what you're saying. Could you explain it to us plainly? And that's where we're going to pick up here. This is Mark 4. Let's look at um, verse 13. Mark 4, verse, verse 13, the disciples asked Jesus, can you explain it clearly? So he says here, he says, do you not understand this parable? 
How then will you understand all the parables? 14. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones on the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear it, Satan comes immediately, takes away the word that was sown on their hearts. Verse 16. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves. They're not discipled. They don't know who they are in Christ. That's why you need to get plugged into a good body of believers. You need to be plugged in. Go, come on Wednesday nights. Do the Power Academy. Do the extra teaching. Go to Karis Bible College. Come to a church like this. Get plugged in. Get discipled so you know who you are in Christ. And then the enemy can't steal the word from you. Um, verse 17. They have no roots in themselves and endure for only a time. Afterwards, when tribulation and persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Verse 18. Here we go. Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word. Verse 19. But the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust for other things enter in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Now, verse 19 right there, that's in your Bible too, right? Verse 19. It clearly, Jesus clearly shows us the three things that are choking the word of God in our life and making it unfruitful. See, this, this message this morning really isn't about money. This message this morning is about how to make the Word of God fruitful in your life. How you can see God results in your life with the Word of God. How you can see your breakthrough in every area of your life. And right here, Jesus says there's three things that's choking the Word in our life. And these three things are stopping the Word of God producing fruit. Now it gets a bit more interesting. Because money is the least of things. It's not a big deal. Now we're talking about kingdom. Now we're talking about things in our lives, spiritual things in our lives that aren't working. Maybe you're waiting for a breakthrough in an area. And you don't realize that mammon's actually choking in this area. So this is the voice of mammon right here. These three things, Mark 4, 19. Deceitfulness of riches, or cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust for other things. Enter in, choke the word, becomes unfruitful. And then verse 20 says, but these are the ones sown on good ground. They hear the word, they accept it, it bears fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. So let's look at the voice of mammon. Cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust for other things. Let's break these down. And, and we haven't got time to go into this, but incidentally, these, these three things, you know, when Adam and Eve sinned, it said that the, they saw the fruit was good to the eyes, pleasing to the flesh, and able to make one wise, those three things. Um, I believe it's 1 John 2, to, yeah, 1 John 2, 16. 1 John 2, 16 says, for all that is in the world, it's talking about all, all sin, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. In uh, Luke 4, Jesus, um, you can go back and look at these when you have time, but in Luke 4, Jesus was tempted with three things. These three things all all fit together with cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust for other things. This is the voice of mammon. You could say it's like the mask the devil uses to get to us and to speak to us is through mammon. Cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, lust for other things. It all fits together. So let's look at the cares of this world real quickly, and, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do this real quick. Matthew 6, Jesus talks great length about this in Matthew 6. Um, he talks about how, and this is right before we get to Matthew 6.24, but he talks about why do you worry? Cares this world is talking about worrying about your provision, worrying about how God's going to provide for you. Now, in times we've been going through the last 18 months, this has gone rampant because how many of you know, more than ever, are people worried about how they're going to be provided for? And people are worried about, well, you know, maybe you've already lost your job. Maybe you've already lost your business. Maybe things are going bad for you. Maybe things are going good for you. You know, most people of faith that are actually putting God first and are practicing, uh, you know, they're, they're giving and receiving and they're in faith and they're, and they're trusting God with their finances have actually prospered during this time and haven't gone backwards. And I said this at the beginning of 2020. I said the world's going to take one big step backwards, but the body of Christ, you and me, we can take two big steps forward in every area. I'm telling you, this is our time to shine. It's so powerful. But, you know, a lot of people are worried about the provision. How's God going to provide for me? And then they go further, even further than that, not just talking about their natural jobs or their retirements or their investments or their business. Then they start saying, well, what if you run out of food? What if things go really bad and everything else? And then they start to get in fear. 
And I know people that are getting in fear about what do we do about this? What do we do about that? God is going to provide for us. It's his promise to us. Now, I'm not saying you don't want to, you know, if you want to take precautions, you want to save money and do things, that's fine. But don't do it out of fear. Don't save money and do things and say, well, I better do this, otherwise God's not going to look after me. God is going to look after you. And the cares of this world, the lie is, is that God is not going to look after you. That's the lie when it comes to the cares of this world. And anytime you have this, this, this sense of, oh, how's God going to provide for me? How's it going to work out? What if I lose my job? What if my business goes under? What if they lay me off? Anytime you have those thoughts, you're questioning God's goodness to you. You're questioning whether God's going to provide for you. I've got news for you. God is your father. He lives by his own word. And listen, a father looks after his own household. He provides for his own, especially his household. God is our provider. He looks after us. And that's what Matthew 6 is talking all about. He says, Matthew 6, 25, I'll just read a few verses for you. Therefore, this is Jesus, do, says to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll put on. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? So he has the men and the women covered here because men are always worried about food. Like we finish breakfast, what's for lunch? We finish lunch, what's for dinner? Women are more worried about clothes. What are you going to wear in that party tomorrow? Anyway, that's very sexist. I apologize. Anyway, so <laughs> it's got the women and men, women and both, both worries here covered. Um, just dropped right down here. He says, so why do you worry about clothing? You know, the, the lilies of the fields are clothed. Why do you worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink? He says here in verse 33, we all know this verse. Um, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. God's very name was Jehovah Jireh, was God your provider. God will provide for you whatever happens. I'm here to declare it to you. Whatever happens in this world, you have a covenant with Father God and he's going to provide for you. It's as simple as that. It's a settled thing. Settle that in your heart. Don't let the cares of this world get in and question uh, whether, you, whether God's going to provide for you or not. It's a done deal. God is going to provide for you. Real quick story here is in Mary and Martha. It's a good example in Luke 10. You know, Mary and Martha, um, it says here in, in, this is Luke 10, verse 38, it says that uh, Mary and Martha were sat at Jesus' feet. And in fact, in verse 39, it says, Martha, who also sat at Jesus' feet. So we're saying both women sat at Jesus' feet listening to Jesus. But guess what happened? Mary and Martha were there listening to Jesus, teaching them. And then Martha started thinking, I've got people in my house. You know what this is like, right? I've got people in my house. How am I going to feed them? How are they going to get fed? I better go and feed them. She had this cares of this world going on. So she left the feet of Jesus. She got distracted from hearing Jesus. And she went and served. It said she was busy with much serving. She was doing good, right? She was trying to serve the people. But she left the voice of God. She left Jesus to go and serve. And she got offended. She came back and said, Lord, don't you care? This is all in, in, you can read all this in Luke 10, 38 to 42. Anytime we say to God, don't you care? We know we're wrong, right? Because God always cares. So he says, don't you care, Lord, that my sister's left me to serve? What happened? She let cares this world get in and distract her. And you might say, actually, how were they going to be fed if she didn't feed them? Well, a few chapters later, Jesus fed 5,000 people just like that. And they sat down at his feet. So I believe Jesus would have instructed them to do things, but it wasn't up to Mary to take that burden of provision. Hope you're getting this. This is cares this world will distract you from God's voice. It will distract you from your relationship with God. That's the whole idea of mammon. It's trying to pull us away from our relationship with God and stop us hearing from God clearly. The second one, deceitfulness of riches. We're looking at things that choke the word of God in our life and stop it bearing fruit. Deceitfulness of riches. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 19. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth. When we trust in money, when we start laying up money and start laying up things and put our trust in that, nothing wrong with savings, nothing wrong with money. You can have all the money in the world. You can have as much money as you want. God has got no problem if you're having money. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, which is a financial verse, it says that, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, yet though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that us, through his poverty, might be made rich. 
God's will for us is to have money. God's will for us is to have an abundance. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, the other way around, says it this way. It says, um, for God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you have an all-sufficiency in all things. That means God wants to provide for all your needs all the time, but he doesn't just stop there. It says, may have an abundance for every good work, or may abound to every good work. So the purpose of prosperity is for us to have an abundance, have more than enough so we can help other people, extend his kingdom, bless people. I'm going to bless you, um, Genesis 12, I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. God wants us to have money. There's no problem if you're having money and having stuff as long as that money and stuff doesn't have you. And you can have, you can have no money and still have a love of money and still have a, uh, an attention on money. Or you can have a bunch of money and not have that and vice versa. It's not about the money. It's about does the money have you? Has the money got your attention? Are you listening to mammon more than you're listening to God? So it's not about the amount of money. But when you start trusting in money and start putting money away and trusting money, it's bad for you. So Jesus said this in, in uh, Matthew 6. And then there's a great story, an example of this. I want to use an example. The rich young ruler. He gets a bad rap, but... The rich young ruler. I think it's pretty cool because he's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. So usually one of those three get away from you. But anyway, rich young ruler right here in Mark uh, 10. Let me just break into this story real quick. He comes to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And um, he, wasn't, you know, he, he's, he was a good man. He followed the law and everything else. But Jesus knew what he was lacking. And in, we're talking about deceitfulness of riches. This rich young ruler had a deceitfulness of riches. He thought that his riches could bring him security. He thought he could trust in his riches. He thought he could trust in his money. And what happens is, is you put your trust in that instead of God. And Jesus tested him here. See, Jesus, God will tempt you with good. He'll never tempt you with evil, but he'll tempt you with good. He'll tempt you with good because he wants you to come higher to him. He wants you to get more close to him. So he's going to tempt you with good. So he tempts this rich young ruler here with good. And let's look at this in Mark 10. Verse 21 says, then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I love that. Mark 10, verse 21. That could be a whole message on its own. Jesus, looking at this rich young ruler, loved him. What Jesus is about to say to this rich young ruler was for his own good. How do you know? Everything God tells us to do is for our own good. God's a good God. He doesn't tell us to do something that's not for our good. He tells us to do things which are for our own good. Even if in the natural it doesn't look like it. This is not gonna... No, God only tells us what's best for us. So Jesus, looking at him, loved him said to him, one thing you lack. Well, how could this rich young ruler lack? He was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. He had it all going on, right? But he said, you lack one thing. And here's the problem. He was trusting his riches instead of trusting God. He said, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor. Basically, he said to him, stop trusting your riches. You're putting your trust in riches, so give up all your riches, and then we'll see where your trust is at. And he says, and then come and take up your cross and follow me. Now, we also know that Jesus said, if anyone gives up lands or houses or properties, or family for my sake, you're going to get back a hundredfold in this life. So Jesus wasn't even trying to take from him. If he'd sold all his possessions and given to the poor and followed Jesus, he actually would have been more prosperous in the natural. But just right here, this tested his heart, and he realized, it says here in, uh, in verse 22, um, Mark 10, verse 22, but he was sad at Jesus' word, and he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. You know what? Those great possessions had him. He wasn't able to trust God of his possessions. And then Jesus said, turned around to the disciples in verse 23 and said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 24, the disciples were astonished at this saying. Do you know why? Because they were rich. They were, they were fishermen. They had businesses. They were tax collectors. They were like, this is crazy. And Jesus explained it to them in verse 24. In, uh, yeah, he explained it to them. He said, listen, he said, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches. Mark 10, 24. This is the key right here. Trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Deceitfulness of riches is that you need money in the bank to be safe and secure. You need X amount in retirement to be secure. You need to earn this amount of money of a job before you can be secure and your future is set. 
You need to have this. Now, maybe you had that money in the bank and you're trusting it, or maybe you don't, but you think, if only I had that amount of money in the bank, I would be safe and secure. I'm telling you, you cannot trust in riches for your security or for your future. It's not wrong to have a plan. It's not wrong to have retirement. It's not wrong to have savings. But when you put your trust in them, Proverbs 23, Proverbs 23 says that money grows wings and flies away. You cannot trust in money. And one of the reasons why people are freaking out when the economy goes up and down is because their trust is in money. If you get upset when the economy goes up and down, it means you're, you're trusting in money rather than in the Lord. And the Lord is your security. The Lord is our future. The Lord is our safety. We don't have to have money to be safe and secure. And anytime we trust in that, whether you have it or not, you can easily put your trust in money without realizing it and saying, if I only had this amount of money, I'd be safe and secure. It's a lie. It's not true. God's our only, the only uh, thing we can trust. God's the only person we can trust. God's the, our rock. Everything else is sinking sand. Again, nothing wrong with having money. You just don't want that money to have you. And that's deceitfulness of riches. And the last one is lust for other things or covetousness. Lust for other things or covetousness. We're looking at things that choke the word of God in our life and make it unfruitful. Lust for other things or covetousness. And um, this is interesting. There's two sides to this. I'll read you the first side. This is uh, Luke 12, 13. Luke 12, 13. This is uh, someone shouts out, I love this, Luke 12, 13. Then one from the crowd shouted out to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Imagine that. It's amazing how money can cause fights in families, in friendships. In fact, it's the number one reason for divorce. It's money, money problems are, 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 are so contentious. If, if there's an issue with, with, with a relationship, a lot of the time you can, you can find out that somewhere along the line there's been a breakdown with money. That's why this is a little side note, but that's why I never lend money to people. Um, you can give money to people, but the minute you lend money to someone, now there's a different relationship. One becomes a servant, one becomes a master. That's in Proverbs. So anyway, that's just my, that's my take on it. I think it's too many relationships are ruined by people lending each other money. So either give it to them or say, I love you too much. I have people come to me, can I borrow some money? I love you too much to lend you money. I'll give you some, but I'm not going to lend it to you because it could hinder our relationship. Anyway, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This is Luke 12, verse 13. So these two brothers falling out here over money. Isn't that sad? Falling out over money. Verse 14, but he said to them, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Verse 15, and Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. We can very easily put our identity in the things we possess. And have you know, living here in America, and I'm from England, England's just as bad, we, are, we grow up in a society that's very covetous. In fact, uh, marketing is all about have this product to be happy. Have this product to be, to be fulfilled. It could be toothpaste. It could be a car. It could be a house. It could be anything. If, if you have this, you'll be happy and you'll be fulfilled. And it breeds covetousness in us. It actually breeds lust for things. And we're very materialistic here in America. If you didn't know that, then I'm sorry I'm breaking the news to you. And we think that things can make us happy. I had a friend who moved here from Uganda and had a terrible time. He said, I hate it. I said, what's the matter? He said, everyone just wants stuff all the time. They're obsessed with stuff and they put things ahead of people. He said, back home, we don't have any stuff, but we have a love for people, and it's missing here in America. I mean, it's pretty humbling to hear him say that. And the way he could see it, he said, all people do is they're, they're spending all their time working to get money to just get stuff. He said, it's so sad. And it was like really eye-opening to me. I thought, wow, he's, he's right. It's like that's, we, we're obsessed with getting things and needing stuff. And a lot of the time, we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't know. Okay, and so it's like, and I'm not against stuff. I love toys. I love stuff. I've got stuff, but if that stuff has us. And right here, he says, here, he says, um, you know, don't be careful. This is something Jesus warned us here. Your life does not consist on the things you have. Prosperity is not about what you have. Prosperity is about how much you've given away. 
Prosperity is about how much you're able to extend the kingdom. The purpose of prosperity is how much you can give away to the kingdom. I heard this uh, story once about when iPads first come out. This woman bought her elderly father an iPad. And um, this was before they even had cameras on the back and all that. They were even more plain than this. And she bought him an iPad and she sent it ahead. And a few months later, she went to visit him. She said, Dad, how did you like the birthday present I got you? How did you like the gift I got you? And he said, I love it. It's great. And he went in the kitchen and he was chopping carrots on it. <laughs> Put it in the dishwasher. as a $500 chopping board. What happened was he didn't understand the purpose of it. So therefore, it was abused. It was misused. We don't understand the purpose of prosperity a lot of the time. And that's why it's misused. Do, are people abusing the message of prosperity? Yes. They're saying you've got to, you know, they're, they're causing, they're, it makes people greedy and wanting stuff and covetous. Does that mean it's wrong? No, it's, we just got to understand the purpose of it. And the purpose of prosperity is that we're meant to be the rulers over money and we're meant to use wealth, use finances to extend his kingdom and love people. There's only two things that are important, God and people. Everything else really, so they're the only two things that can live forever. So everything you see is not going to be, so I don't care how big a house you have, how big a car you have, he, he with the most, I saw a bumper ticket that says, he with the most toys wins. That is absolutely not true, okay? He who's able to give away the most money and help the most people and see the most people come into relationship with Jesus, he who's able to help and serve the most people wins. Jesus served people and he won, praise God. So I'm telling you, we, we need to be aware of covetousness. Verse 16, he said, I'll speak a parable to you. This is Luke 12, verse 16. He spoke a parable to them saying, there was a ground of a certain rich man that yielded plentiful. We're in Luke 12, verse 17. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no room to store my crops. So he said to them, I will do this. I'll put down, pull down my barns and I'll build greater barns. He had so much wealth and so many crops, he didn't have room to store it. Now, what does that tell you he should have done? He should have kept his barns he had, because it's good to have savings, good to have retirement, good to have investments. But at that point, once he's got enough, he should be giving that abundance away. But he thought, no, I've got to keep it all myself because he was trusting his riches and he was covetous. So he built bigger barns. He said, I'll build bigger barns. And then I'll say to my soul, verse 19, soul, you have many goods laid up for you many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul be required of you. By the way, God didn't kill him. It's amazing what religion can do, that God killed him. It doesn't say that in the Bible. But anyway, <laughs> so this soul, your soul be required of you. And then whose things which you have will be provided. Verse 21, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. What happened here was this guy was trusting in money. He had a lust for, for, uh, for other things. He was covetous. So that's one side of covetousness. When we think we need stuff to be happy, we think we need stuff to be secure. The other side of covetousness, I call it, is the Christian side of covetousness. Okay? And this is where we get covetous of other people. But we don't say it out loud because that's not very Christian. So we'll disguise it. And we'll say things like this. I'm not sure brother so-and-so should have this, that, and the other. That's not really, I'm not sure that's kingdom. In fact, I think he should sell them things and give it to the poor. Uh-oh. I'm stepping on toes, am I? I, where, I was, where we used to live, there was a cul-de-sac, and I used to drive past the same house every day, and my neighbor bought himself a brand new truck. And I was like, man, he's got a brand new, that's a nice truck. A few weeks later, a second brand new truck. Same truck, one for work, one for pleasure. Two brand new trucks. F-250s. I was like, man. Every day I was like, why does he need two trucks for? He's got two. He can only drive one at a time. Two brand new trucks. Every day I'd make a comment. He's not even using them. Look, what a waste of two trucks. Two good trucks. Eventually, I said, he doesn't need those two trucks. He could sell one. Eventually, my, one of my kids said, Dad, are you got a problem with his trucks? I said, no. He said, well, it sounds like you have. <laughs> and this is what my, I think it was my oldest son, Zach, said this. It's brilliant. He said, Dad, have you got a problem with his truck, brand new trucks? Because you haven't got a brand new truck. And I thought, oh, he's right. 
And then a few months later, praise the Lord, the Lord blessed me with a new truck. And guess what? I didn't care about his trucks anymore because I had a new truck. <laughs> so so a, a, a brother in Christ who's, who's a teacher in the body of Christ, he, he uh, uh, bought himself a $10 million house. And everyone said, oh, $10 million, that's too much. I said, what's, what's too much? Well, he could have a million dollars, but not $10 million. Well, have you know, whatever houses you live in now, the 90% of the world, it's a mansion. So whatever house you live in, apartment, I don't care what you live in right now, it's a mansion. In fact, if you can spend $10 today, you're in the top 90% richest people, or the top 10% richest people in the world, you're richer than 90% of the world. So it's too late, you're already rich. But I said to him, what, what's your problem with a $10 million house? Well, we should have a million dollars, too much. And I said, well, he, bought, he paid cash for this house, he got it through doing real estate, he doesn't take any money from the church, not anything wrong with that, but he doesn't take a salary. He bought this, I said, I said, you really haven't got a problem with Brother So-and-so's house. You've got a problem with your house. Because if your house was $11 million, you wouldn't care about Brother So-and-so's $10 million house. So his of gets quiet. So we've got to be careful because that is covetous. It's covetousness. A friend of mine got, a brand new, got given a brand new Cadillac Escalade. In fact, it's Andrew Romack. He preached on prosperity and he watched the message. And he, as he was watching it, he started repenting. He said, Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't do a very good, very good job on that. That was a bad teaching. That was a bad teaching. I'm sorry I didn't, I didn't do it. That was him watching himself on television. That's how humble he is, right? As he's saying that, Kenneth Copeland calls him and he answers the phone. And he says, Andrew, I just watched your television program on prosperity. And it really blessed me. And it's the first time he's ever called him. He said, I'm so blessed. He said, I said, Lord, bless Andrew. He said, in fact, I said, Lord, bless him with a brand new vehicle. And he said, you know what? I'm going to give you a brand new vehicle. I'm going to send you a brand new Cadillac Escalade. Okay? Praise the Lord. I was so excited when I heard that. Okay? I was like, this is awesome. Praise the Lord. Do you know how many people said, well, it would be nice to have rich friends? How comes I don't get no brand new car? That's not very nice. You know what? That's covetousness. See, and Andrew drive, drove that around. He got persecuted. They said, you shouldn't have such a fancy car. Well, that was free. What's he meant to do? Not drive a free car? So anyway, I'll say all this to say, we've got to be careful because it's very easy for us to say, judge other people's prosperity. And most of the people I know in my life that are actually prospering are huge givers. In fact, I don't know anyone in the body of Christ who's prospering, who's got great things, nice houses, nice cars, who doesn't give away like crazy. I mean, like, are so generous. And that's how they have those things. Let me show you this story here. This is in, um, in John 12. We're coming into land. John 12. John 12, verse 3. Look at this. Mary took a pound of very costly oil. I love the song we sang, talking about this, about pouring out to God. Mary really knew how to worship Jesus right here. John 12, verse 3. Mary took a pound of very costly oil, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with this fragrance of oil. You know this oil in the, in the other gospel, I think it's in uh, Matthew's gospel, says it was worth a year's salary. So Mary came along here and spent a year's salary just to worship Jesus for a few minutes. So that would be like someone here giving away, I don't know, $30,000, $60,000, $100,000, whatever a year's salary is for you, giving away that amount of money in one deal like that. Okay? Do one act of worship. Look what happened here. It says, but one of the disciples, ready for this? It's in John 12. It's right here, red and white. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would later betray him, we're in John 12, who would later betray him, said... Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Sounds very noble, doesn't it? We should have sold this. What a waste. We should have sold this and given to the poor. In fact, the other uh, gospel says, what a waste. We should never have wasted this money. We should have sold it and given to the poor. And I've said those things. Just so you know, I'm talking to myself. I've said things like, they shouldn't have such a big house. They shouldn't have such a nice car. They shouldn't have this. They could give that money to the poor. So it's, it's very easy to slip into this. This he said, ready for this? this? This is right here in the Bible. I'm reading the Bible. This is not my opinion. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he wanted the money, and he kept the money box and he wanted to use the money for himself. 
Judas Iscariot said that money should not be used to the gospel. It should be sold and given to the poor. And then guess what happened? This is Mammon speaking to him. See, Mammon, the, the, the lust for other things, spoke to Judas. And right after that, if you can read this in Matthew, right after that, he went out offended. Judas left mad because of the love of money. He saw money being used and he wanted that money. He had a, he had a covetousness for that money. So he went out mad. And guess what he did? He went in, in uh, Matthew 26, 14, you can read this. He said he went out and he negotiated with the chief priests how much money they'd give him to sell him Jesus. For him to sell them Jesus. And he settled on, was it 20 silver coins or 30 silver coins? 30 silver coins, thank you, Nick. 30 silver coins. So think about this. Mammon spoke to Judas and got him so covetousness, got him so much into wanting money that he actually gave up his relationship with Jesus to run after money. This is how powerful Mammon is. Mammon is trying to distract us from the voice of God. Mammon is trying to make, uh, make us, draw us away from our relationship with God. And Mammon is trying to vie for our attention. Jesus said, Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve God and Mammon. You have to choose. And if we're not serving God, what's happened is we're serving mammon without even realizing it. The voice of money is talking to us, whether it's the, the cares of this world, how am I going to provide? How am I going to make it work? How am I going to... And you had that burden, and it stops you hearing God's voice. Or maybe it's, it's deceitfulness of riches. If I had this amount of money, I could be happy. I could be, trust, you know, I could, I could be safe. Or maybe it's covetousness. If I only had these things, I'd be happy. Or those people shouldn't have these things. Any type of jealousy. If you see someone prosper and you're jealous, that's not fair. That's covetous. We see a lot of that in our society right now. That's not fair. They shouldn't have those things. It's not our, our business. There's no limit with God. There's no limit with money. There's, there's enough money for everyone. The minute we try and think it's not fair, then we take that away. So what happens is, and real quickly I'll end with this, what happens is, is it can distract us from the voice of God. So how do we make sure that mammon's our servant and we're the master? How, what's, the, what's the, if you like, remember my dog at the beginning? And I said to you that that dog was intimidating me because mammon will keep speaking to you and keep intimidating you and say, you're not going to make it. You haven't got enough. You're not going to, you know, whatever. You need this to be happy. That person over there is prospering. You're not. Mammon will speak to you because it's trying to advise your attention. What's the alpha dog move, if you like? Do you remember I said I had to go, bah, the dog and make it submit to me? How we do that now is by giving. That's why God set it up this way. When you give in the kingdom of God, it's like you're going, bah, to mammon. You're saying, I'm in charge. I could take this money and I could use it for something else, but I'm choosing to give it to God because I'm going to trust God with my finances and not trust finances in my future. I trust God and I put God first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, your relationship with him first, all these other things that the Gentiles seek after, your food, your clothes, your house, your cars. God's going to give you those things. But if we trust in money, we're not going to be able to hear God's voice. And I'm telling you, you cannot serve both God and mammon. You have to choose. Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve mammon? And when you give financially, I'm telling you, God will make you give sometimes or ask you to give sometimes that will type of scare you like the rich young ruler. You, he'll ask you to give and you'll be like, oh, Lord. And why is he doing that? Because he's testing you with good. He's, he's tempting you with good. He wants your whole heart. He wants you to trust in him rather than trusting in money, in mammon. This happens over and over. And I've been through this test a few times. You've probably got testimonies here about where God's asked you to give something. I tell people, and unless your giving gets your attention, it's not getting God's attention. Your giving will bring you things money could never buy. So it's not about the money. It's about are we trusting God with our whole hearts? And when you give, you're saying, God, I trust you with my whole heart. It's your action to your faith. And I haven't set this up like this. This is God who set it up like this. It's a motive. It can show you where you're trusting. Is your trust with God or is your trust with mammon? And anytime you go to give and your mammon says, no, you can't do that. You're listening to mammon instead of God. And I've been in these, the biggest battle you'll ever have is between your will and God's will. And your will will often be mammon speaking, saying, don't do it, don't do it. And God's will say, go for it. Come on, this is going to be awesome. You're going to see breakthrough in other areas of your faith when you trust me in this area.
And this is what happens. Our daughter was healed, I told you about this, and the night before she was healed, and I hesitate to say this because some people say, I was bribing God or I was paying for her, her uh, healing. I wasn't. This is what happened. The night before my daughter was healed, we took her to a healing meeting, and God told me right before she was healed, the night before she was healed, the offering came around, and I said, Lord, how much did I give? And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart right there and said, give everything you have. It was like a rich young woman moment. Give everything you have. So I went, I can't hear you, Lord. I was like, no, please, please. Guess what God was trying to do? He was trying to get more to me. I said, I said to Carly, Carly, the Lord said, give me every, we've got to give everything we have in the bank. And she said, go for it. So I wrote a check that night. This was in 2006. And I literally gave all the money we had in the banks, our savings account, our, our checking account. We just gave the whole lot in one go. Guess what happened? The next day, our daughter was prayed for and she was healed. Now listen, hear me clearly. I was not paying for a healing. I was not bribing God. Something in my heart, I was trusting in mammon more than trusting God. And until I could let go and trust God fully, I wasn't able to receive from God fully. And God's never trying to take from us. He's trying to get more to us. He's the biggest giver. He's trying to get more to us. So this will open the word up. Remember, these three things choke the word. When we get a control of these three things and we put mammon in its place and we, and we show that mammon's who's in charge, the word of God's going to start bearing fruit in our life. And there's things in the word, in our lives that are going to start bearing fruit that weren't able to bear fruit before. Let me pray for you real quickly. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that you show us what, what chokes the word in our life. And Lord, we repent of listening to the voice of mammon. Right now, Lord, we repent of listening to the voice of mammon, myself included. Anytime we, we're making decisions, Lord, when we hear your voice, Lord, we repent of that. Lord, we say we want to hear your voice and your voice only. I thank you, Lord, we're going to hear your voice and a voice of a strangers we, we will not follow. I thank you, Lord, we are telling mammon and, and we're telling money what to do today. We are pushing money down and saying, you serve us, we serve God. And I thank you, Lord, from this point onwards, the families in Palabra de Vida, Lord, the people here listening, the people online are going to put you first. They're going to seek you first. And I thank you that we're going to see that all these other things added to us supernaturally. I thank you for supernatural growth. I thank you that you only have good for us. I thank you that just like that rich young ruler, Lord, you, you ask us to do this because you love us and you want more for us. I thank you, Lord, you're our provider. We can trust you. I thank you, Lord, you have everything we need to succeed. And I thank you, Lord, we can trust you wholeheartedly with our whole lives, including our provision and our finances. And I thank you, Lord, for breakthrough today in other areas. I thank you, Lord, for the word of God bearing fruit today, 30, 60, and 100-fold. Healings, relationship restorations, heart healings. I thank you, Lord, for powerful breakthroughs today, Lord, as people trust you with the least thing. I thank you, Lord, as they trust you with the least thing, Lord, you're going to bring them the greater, the greater riches, Lord. We thank you. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Everyone said, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Pastor Ben, come up here.